Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 150. One thing you've heard me say repeatedly is that there are only three types of bishops, bad bishops, mediocre bishops, and good bishops. There are no good bishops in the USCCB, only evil bad bishops and cowardly mediocre bishops. But that's not to say there haven't been good bishops within recent memory. One good bishop was my Episcopal hero, Bishop Robert Morlino, the ordinary of Madison, Wisconsin, who died three years ago this month. This week we're going to talk a bit about Bishop Morlino, as well as the criminal empire known as the USCCB, as they meet this week in Baltimore. I'm facing some huge expenses for the apostolate between now and January. They may not be big expenses for most apostolates, but they're big for me. I need your help. Statistically, only about 1% of people who use or follow an apostolate give financial gifts to those apostolates. So I'm addressing that 1%. The rest of you needn't listen any further. You can just ignore me. I did the math. If the 1% of you want to generously help this apostolate now, will only give a gift of $2 each, all of this apostolate's year-end expenses, an estimated $10,000, would be met. So please click on the link in my show notes that says, Help Keep the Joe Six-Pack the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate Alive. Please make it a monthly gift for as long as you can. There's also information there for six-pack warriors who prefer to mail a check. As Mother Angelica used to say, put us somewhere between the water and light bills. Thank you. I'd like to begin by thanking those of you who've answered my plea for support. 
Your generosity tells me how you feel about this apostolate, and I'm quite certain that some of you gave the widow's might. God bless all of you. I needed about $10,000, and so far you've very generously given a little under $7,500. So I need to continue to ask for help, and I'll continue running ad spots asking for that help until we reach the goal or until the end of December, whichever comes first. Let's hope that this is the final episode that I have to ask for your help. Thank you again for your wonderful generosity, and be assured that I'll remember you and your intentions in my daily prayers. Now let's get on to this week's topic. Bishop Morlino was a hero of mine. While Bishop of Madison, this poor man had to fight the evils of his diocese among the priests and laity every day, much as Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke had to do when he was the ordinary in my own archdiocese of St. Louis. Just like Cardinal Burke, he had the local media lambasting him constantly, and the laity of his see were forever writing letters to Rome asking the Pope to remove him. I've no doubt they'd have been successful in getting him removed, too, except for his untimely death, which was actually cheered by anti-Catholic Catholics in Madison. Bishop Morlino was hated by anyone and everyone on the left politically and the heterodox religiously. Many of the bishops in the USCCB hated him because of his dogged traditionalism and his knack for being a pain in their collective fifth point of contact. Bishop Morlino stopped the use of female altar servers in Madison. He ordered that tabernacles in all parishes be placed in the central place of prominence where they belonged. He also ordered that by Advent of 2018, altar rails be put back into the parish churches and that the only acceptable means of receiving communion in his diocese would be on the tongue while kneeling. The new rule about communion was to take place in Advent 2018, but that went by the wayside when he died the month before it was to be implemented. Bishop Morlino was also unafraid to confront his bishop brothers about homosexuality in the priesthood. His Excellency wrote an open letter to his brother bishops on the scandal of homosexuality in the Catholic Church on August 18, 2018, a mere three months before his death. On November 8th of this year, Michael Vorce did a vortex in which he read a portion of that letter. I believe that both Bishop Morlino's letter and this particular vortex are powerful and should be revisited now as the USCCB meets in Baltimore. Let's listen. It's become quite clear that even in the face of public revelations, lawsuits, media reports, scandals, and even video proof, The bishops want to protect the homosexuality within their ranks at all costs. That should tell you a lot. The refusal by even non-gay bishops to publicly confront this evil is beyond shocking and disturbing. No one with a miter wants to talk about the pink elephant in the sacristy. Why is that? Unless you assume they are all homosexual, and even that seems a little, just a little, far-fetched, There must be some kind of stranglehold the demon of this has on all of them. Beyond actually being same-sex attracted, which we must presume at least not each and every one of them are, then why are the non-gays among them so deathly silent on all of this? 
Have they participated in cover-ups involving other bishops who are gay and they did something or they know something about what's going on right now? On their rise up the ladder, did they somehow become compromised and are afraid to say something lest they get blown up? Something is going on, that much we know, because there is no reason on earth, if you are a good bishop, that you wouldn't recognize the destruction this embrace of sodomy within the episcopate has caused and then just sit back quietly. You would at least work quietly behind the scenes with outfits like church militant to feed us information about who's who and who's compromised, sleeping with whomever, covering all of this up. Three years ago, during the summer of shame, when Theodore McCarrick's sins became known to the world and that many bishops have covered for him, the Bishop of Madison, Wisconsin, Robert Morlino, who has since died, God rest his soul, wrote an open letter to his brother bishops. It came out on August 18th, 2018, less than a week before Archbishop Vigano's first devastating testimony was released by him. Here are some relevant portions. Quote, It is time to admit that there is a homosexual subculture within the hierarchy of the Catholic Church that is wreaking great devastation in the vineyard of the Lord. The church's teaching is clear that the homosexual inclination is not in itself sinful, but it is intrinsically disordered in a way that renders any man stably afflicted by it unfit to be a priest. And the decision to act upon this disordered inclination is a sin so grave that it cries out to heaven for vengeance especially when it involves preying upon the young or the vulnerable. Such wickedness should be hated with a perfect hatred. Christian charity itself demands that we should hate wickedness just as we love goodness. Remember, this is directed to his brother bishops. He continued, The love and mercy which we are called to have even for the worst of sinners does not exclude holding them accountable for their actions through a punishment proportionate to the gravity of their offense. In fact, a just punishment is an important work of love and mercy, because while it serves primarily as retribution for the offense committed, it also offers the guilty party an opportunity to make expiation for his sins in this life, if he willingly accepts his punishment, thus sparing him worse punishment in the life to come. Motivated, therefore, by love and concern for souls, I stand with those calling for justice to be done upon the guilty. Of course, we know the only thing that happened with the bishops is they just circled the wagons with Donald Whirl leading the way. They started supposedly investigating themselves, and back into the closet they all danced. Bishop Morlino concluded, quote, the sins and crimes of McCarrick and of far too many others in the church bring suspicion and mistrust upon many good and virtuous priests, bishops, and cardinals, and suspicion and mistrust upon many great and respectable seminaries, and so many holy and faithful seminarians. The result of the first instance of mistrust harms the church and the very good work we do in Christ's name. It causes others to sin in their thoughts, words, and deeds, which is the very definition of scandal. And the second mistrust harms the future of the church, 
since our future priests are at stake. Closed quote. So, see, it's not just church militants saying this. Even today, here is a voice from beyond the grave calling to account the members of the hierarchy engaged in this filth in whatever manner. And to be very clear, there is more than just one way to be a member of the gay cabal within the hierarchy. You can be an active homosexual. You can be homosexual and not active, but still have your decision-making colored and your actions severely hampered and influenced by the psychological disorder, which is what it is. Check church teaching, bishops. You can be straight and yet sympathetic to the sin because you know other bishops who are gay and have forged some kind of bond with them over the years through the past assignments or seminary or whatever. You can also be straight, a fourth way, and even not like any of this, but also be selfish and career-minded and therefore choose to say and do nothing so as not to interfere with your career. You can also be straight, this is a fifth way, and simply be a coward, unwilling to face the massive blowback you would receive in the media. Well, tough, you wear red for a reason. No matter where on that whole spectrum an individual man who is a bishop falls, he is part and parcel of the gay cabal, whether he's having sex with seminarians or just keeping his mouth shut. And moreover, nothing such a man says beyond the narrowest of precise church teaching should be followed or adhered to because he is severely lacking in integrity and therefore Whatever he is advancing is immediately called into question. Too many Catholics have failed to understand the full extent of that gay spectrum within the hierarchy, limiting their thinking to just active homosexual bishops. They're too quick to give a pass to a bishop and priests who are gay, but just not practicing. That fails severely to understand the wider scope of the problem. And of course, those who just sit back silent for whatever reason, why should such a man escape scrutiny? The entire cabal of the gay crowd in the church, all of them need to go. They need to be outed, not just the active homosexuals, but all those who promote it, talk out of both sides of their mouths about it, wink and nod at it, have some misplaced loyalties about it, or just plain old cowards. As they open their meeting in Baltimore next week, None of them will even consider the massive destruction that they have brought on the faith because of all of this. They will not talk about the evil of contraception because the sin of sodomy flows directly from that sin. They are mute on the evil of child killing because it's too much of a direct line back to all of this. The hierarchy is chucked full of weak and sinful men, so much so that they should never have been ordained, much less made bishops. But they got into seminary precisely because of their affinity for this sin and or their demonstrated willingness to say nothing about it. That's how they got ordained in the first place. Imagine for a moment a seminarian back in the 1970s or 80s objecting to his gay rector or vocations director or faculty or whoever that homosexual acts are gravely sinful and the inclination is disordered. He'd have been gone in seconds. In fact, we know that did happen constantly. So those seminarians who remained back there in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and were ordained from way back then, 
They learned that homosexuality, especially within their own ranks, is the third rail that you never touch lest you die. What they forgot and even today ignore, which Bishop Morlino warns them about from beyond the grave, is that if they don't deal with it now, they will deal with it before the throne of Almighty God in short order. His closing line from that letter, motivated therefore by love and concern for souls, I stand with those calling for justice to be done upon the guilty. Justice will be visited upon you, bishops, in this life or the next. The only point at question is, which life do you choose for that justice to happen? For those of you who want to read the full text of Bishop Morlino's open letter to his brother bishops, I've included a link to the letter in my show notes. I hope you read it. It shows the bishop's holiness and commitment to his Episcopal office. This episode of the Cantankerous Catholic is published on the third day of the bishop's annual meeting in Baltimore. It's being recorded on the day of the USCCB's opening session of their meeting. Another thing taking place simultaneous to the USCCB meeting is the Enough is Enough prayer rally hosted by Church Militant of St. Michael's Media. Since this prayer rally is taking place next to the hotel where the bishops are meeting, it promises to be an interesting week that the bishops didn't want to happen. For those of you who don't keep up with Church Militant, by working with the city of Baltimore, the bishops tried to suppress this prayer rally because the last thing these evil men want is to be exposed as the sexual predators and homosexual enablers that they are. And that's exactly why Church Militant organized the prayer rally. Church Militant had to sue in federal court in order to exercise their First Amendment right to hold the prayer rally. After having won in the lower court, Baltimore filed a frivolous appeal to the circuit court in an attempt to run out the clock as a means of preventing the prayer rally. It didn't work, thanks be to God. If there is to be open conflict between the bishops and the participants at the prayer rally, it's probably already happened by the time of this episode's publication. Let me make one thing perfectly clear. While the USCCB hates church militant, they don't fear church militant. The evil men of the USCCB fear you. When you band together to stand up to their evil in such events as the Enough is Enough prayer rally, they see you as a threat to their power and criminal activities. It's not Church Militant, the Wanderer Catholic newspaper, the Lepanto Institute, or the Cantankerous Catholic that'll bring down these evil men, but you six-pack warriors who love the Catholic Church and want to return to orthodoxy and holiness. The Enough is Enough prayer rally will certainly do its good in Baltimore, but we can't let it stop there. We can't afford to wait until next year's USCCB meeting to expose these Episcopal cockroaches to the light of truth again. We must use the Enough is Enough prayer rally to mark the beginning of a movement to confront these evil men. We have to seize upon the momentum begun by events that are unfolding in Baltimore even as I speak. At an all-men's college after World War II, Winston Churchill gave what was his shortest and perhaps most eloquent speech of his life. As he looked out at the young graduates, he stared hard into their eyes and said, Never give up. 
Then he paused for a moment to make sure he had their attention. He said again, Never give up. Pausing even longer this time in order to let his words sink in, he concluded his speech. Never, 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 never give up. Understanding who this man was and how he'd saved England from Nazi fascism, these young men gave Churchill a loud and sustained standing ovation. What Church Militant, the Wander, the Lepanto Institute, and the cantankerous Catholic are saying to you now is, never, 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 never give up. Whether they realize it or not, too many souls are depending on what you do from this point forward. 300,000. That's how many Catholic souls this apostolate reaches every week through all the things I do. Apparently, then, this apostolate is vital. The unfortunate reality is that reaching that many souls isn't free. I need your help, and I need it now. Between now and the end of January, this apostolate has to raise about $10,000 to stay in existence. So please click on the link in my show notes that says, Help Keep the Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate Alive. Please make it a monthly gift for as long as you can. There's also information there for six-pack warriors who prefer to mail a check. As Mother Angelica used to say, put us somewhere between the water bill and the light bill. Thank you. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to the Catholic News Agency. The U.S. bishops began their four-day meeting in Baltimore Monday, their first in-person gathering since November 2019. Most of the focus of the meeting will be on a document on Eucharistic coherence. The Catholic News Agency highlights eight things to watch for during this conference. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to ABC News. A new ABC News Washington Compost poll shows that 51% of registered voters would support the Republican congressional candidate in their district if the midterm elections were held today. Only 41% said they would support the Democrat. That's the biggest lead for Republicans in the 110 ABC Post polls that have asked this question since 1981. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. The Central European country of Austria has reimposed lockdowns, but this time only for those who haven't received the COVID-19 shot. Officials claim the lockdown will only last 10 days, and it applies to ages 12 and older. In reality, we have told one-third of the population you will not leave your apartment anymore apart from for certain reasons, Austrian Chancellor Alexander Schallenberg said. Why, you no-good, stinking, rotten rascal! 
You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number two. two. Hats off to Politico. The left-weaning Politico published an article questioning the FBI's raid of conservative journalist James O'Keefe of Project Veritas as prompting alarm from some First Amendment advocates. University of Minnesota law professor Jane Kirtley, a former executive director of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, said, I'm not a big fan of Project Veritas, but this is just over the top. I hope they get a serious reprimand from the court because I think this is just wrong. Yee-haw! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to the Daily Wire. Governor Doug Burgum signed legislation banning the teaching of critical race theory in North Dakota. State Representative Dan Ruby, a sponsor of the bill, said, Students should learn about how our country's founding was based on many great principles, as well as the mistakes that have been made throughout our history. But to say that our country is systematically racist is denying the truth about the struggles this country has made to ensure equality and opportunities for all minorities. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. St. Felicitas was widow of the second century. She and her seven sons were very strong and devoted Catholics. Despite the Roman persecution against the faith, and despite the threat of horrid tortures and death, Felicitas and her sons not only practiced their faith fervently, but also quite openly. Indeed, their open and fervent practice of the faith won many souls to Christ and his church. This angered the pagan priests, who complained to Emperor Antonius. They told the emperor that this family was drawing many of the people away from worship of the gods, which made the gods displeased. The only way the gods could be appeased, they told the emperor, would be when Felicitas and her sons would sacrifice to them. Both privately and publicly, the Roman officials tried to get the family to sacrifice to the gods. The officials used pleading, promises of wealth and privilege, attempts at bribery, and threats of torture and death to get them to relent from the practice of Christianity and sacrifice to the gods. Nothing they tried worked. When the threats against her family became serious and inescapable, Felicitas courageously responded, My children will live eternally with Jesus Christ if they are faithful to him, but must expect eternal death if they sacrifice to idols. Felicitas told her sons, My sons, look up to heaven, where Jesus Christ with his saints expects you. Be faithful to his love and fight courageously for your souls. 
This is how a mother shows her truest, most courageous love for her children. In their final attempt to force Felicitas and her sons to renounce the faith, the pagan Romans did the most cruel thing they could do to a mother. One by one, before her very eyes, Felicitas' sons were put to death. They would kill one son, let time pass to allow her to think about the consequences of not sacrificing to the gods, then kill another son. Felicitas, who suffered the pain of bringing those seven sons into the world, was forced to suffer the pain of watching them dispatched into the next world. Four months after watching the murder of her first son, Felicitas was finally beheaded and sent to her eternal glory. I'm a great lover of history, and I've studied American history with a passion since I was a child. While yet a catechumen, I began studying church history, which really makes the student's chest swell with pride, especially during those early centuries of the Great Roman Persecutions. And the study of history is necessary if we're going to know the proper course to take in virtually everything. As George Santana once said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. We Americans have been pathetic at learning from our history, which is why America more resembles pagan Rome today than the republic our founding fathers fought and died to give us nearly two and a half centuries ago. Insightful people who know and understand history have seen the handwriting on the wall since the Second World War. That war, ending the worst national suffering of our history from the Great Depression, seemed to cause us to lose our sense of sin, as Pope Pius XII lamented. Although American sovereignty and our very existence made it necessary to fight the Axis powers, that global struggle did something to us that has seemed irreversible. We saw so much bloodshed and suffered so much pain from that war that we were willing to do anything to stop it. Unfortunately, we sold the soul of our nation in the process on the days we dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This makes us the only nation in the history of the world to use nuclear explosives in anger to kill untold numbers of civilians indiscriminately, an act the Catholic Church has roundly condemned. But that was only the beginning. World War II also contributed greatly to the disillusion of the family in our country. So many men had gone off to war that married women found themselves working outside the home for the first time to support themselves and their children, and this did something unnatural to the psyche of women. When their husbands returned home from the war, wives were no longer content to be the primary caregivers of the family. They wanted to continue to work outside the home. This led to a decline in birth rate that dooms baby boomers and subsequent generations to not having enough people in the workforce to help support our economy and us in our own age. The decline in the birth rate comes from the morally reprehensible action of artificial contraception, which Pope Paul VI very strongly condemned in his 1968 encyclical, Humanae Vitae, thus reinforcing the Church's 2,000-year prohibition of the practice. Not only did he condemn artificial contraception in that teaching letter to the faithful, but he also made some predictions at the time of what artificial contraception would lead to, predictions the media hailed as the insane ravings of an old man. His Holiness predicted the acceptance of abortion and the unholy application of the science of eugenics. 
How insane were his ravings? All of these things collectively make up what St. John Paul the Great referred to as the culture of death. The culture of death also includes medically non-essential sterilization, including tubal ligation and vasectomy, and the acceptance of homosexuality and the redefinition of marriage as no longer being between Adam and Eve, but now to include Adam and Steve. We have indeed lost our sense of sin, along with logic, right reason, and good old common sense. Government has so well managed the separation of church and state that it's gone so far as to separate the church from the state. In toto, these grave evils from World War II forward have led to a persecution against Christianity in general, and Catholicism in particular, that's been picking up momentum over the last two decades. How bad is it when the little sisters of the poor are forced by the government to provide artificial contraceptions for people who work for them? But it's going to get much worse. The next step in the persecution will be countless lawsuits against our priests and bishops because they won't perform same-sex marriages or hire openly practicing homosexuals to teach our Catholic children. In fact, the litigations have already begun. Then the government will begin taking away the tax-exempt status of dioceses and parishes because they won't tow the government line, striking a financially fatal blow to the church in America. After all, we can't survive financially when only 10% of our fellow Catholics provide 90% of the money needed to support the church. Next, the government will define discrimination against homosexuals and polygamists so broadly that it will classify such discrimination as hate crimes. That's when we'll see our priests and bishops move from the civil courtroom to the criminal courtroom. It's feasible, even likely, that we'll live in a priestless society in 15 to 20 years. Oh, a shadow of the Catholic Church will still be in America, much the way the People's Catholic Church exists as the official church in China, but those among us who choose to belong will find ourselves in a state of automatic excommunication. Dying in a state of excommunication means we'll stand before God already judged and condemned. Once our bishops and priests begin to go to prison, it's only a short step or two to the ultimate act of persecution. The late Francis Cardinal George said he'd die in his bed, that his successor would die in prison, and that his successor would die a martyr. However, the coming martyrdom won't stop with the priests and the bishops. During the lifetime of most of you, martyrdom will reach the laity as well. The time's coming when we'll have to draw from the sacramental graces of confirmation. How can we prepare for this momentum-gaining persecution? We must learn our holy and ancient faith as best we can. However, knowing simply isn't enough. After all, Satan and his demonic followers know the Catholic faith far better than any of us ever will, but knowing it does him absolutely no good. So we must learn the faith, then apply what we learn. We must work harder than ever toward personal sanctity. We have to become as fervent and devoted as St. Felicitas. That's what Jesus commands anyway. 
Discover why thousands of readers worldwide turn to the Wanderer newspaper for weekly perspective and analysis of the news and events that increasingly threaten our values and our way of life. Hello, my name is Joe Matt, publisher of America's oldest national Catholic weekly newspaper, The Wanderer. If you take your Catholic faith seriously and you are concerned about the direction of our country, the ever-encroaching hand of big government, the assault of the culture on the traditional family, and the threat of progressive leaders in our churches who embrace much of the current leftist culture rather than opposing it, you will find a home in the pages of The Wanderer. If you are tired of being force-fed the agenda-driven false narratives of the day by the godless dominant media and the political elite who preside within our government, our schools, and yes, in our Catholic churches, it is time for you to take a look at The Wanderer. Every week The Wanderer addresses these concerns, exposing the who, what, and the why with sound analysis and solutions to these problems that threaten the values we hold dear. Not only is the Wander a great source for the issues that affect our lives, but it is also a great tool to learn more about the treasures of our Catholic faith and how to defend it in this time of great moral decay. I'm so confident you will like the Wanderer. For you six-packers out there, I have a special offer. For one dollar, that's one dollar, we are offering new subscribers the opportunity to receive one month's worth of issues. That's four weekly issues. Take the Wander for a test drive. After one month, it is nine dollars a month. You can cancel anytime you want. I hope you will take advantage of this limited offer today. Text the word NEWS to 830-331-5729 and I will send you a link to this offer or look for the link in Joe's show notes below. The Wanderer. For 154 years, unabashedly pro-life, independent, and conservative in its politics, and steadfast in its defense of Orthodox Catholicism. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from Mother St. Teresa. She said, Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Tommy Harmon had been a star halfback at the University of Michigan when World War II broke out, and he was drafted into the Army Air Corps, where he became a bomber pilot. While flying over the wild jungles of Brazil, he and the three men of his crew had to bail out. They all landed in different places and were separated. Tommy landed in a tree. The only things he had with him were a compass, a small bottle of water, and his rosary. He broke the bottle of water getting down out of the tree. The jungle was filled with heavy growth, poisonous snakes, and dangerous wild animals. At night, he'd look for a dry place and pray to the Holy Spirit and the rosary. He dragged on through the swamps up to his hips. After days of this, he found a path that led him to the hut of an Indian. The Indian took him in for the night, then showed him the way back to civilization the next day. When he reached the city, reporters asked him how he survived his jungle ordeal, while his crew were probably starved and eaten by wild animals. The Holy Spirit dwells in my soul, he said. He was given to me when the bishop confirmed me. 
I kept praying to the Holy Spirit that he might lead me. I also prayed my rosary continuously. I must have said a million Hail Marys. I was sure that the Holy Spirit and the Blessed Mother would lead me back to safety. The Holy Spirit's in your soul as long as you're in a state of sanctifying grace. He was given to you in a special way at confirmation. He'll help you to not only be a good Catholic, but also to find your way through the problems of life. Turn to him with confidence when you need light and strength. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 